Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Monk's Corner, South Carolina. It is going to be part one of what will be a two-part series, because this case has so many bizarre twists and turns that it just can't be summed up into one episode. With that, small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Katie Lee Major was the oldest of four and grew up on a peaceful little farm in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. Of all things, she was most known for having the kind of kindness you can't teach, being willing to help anyone at the drop of a hat, and just being as down-to-earth as they come. During her senior year of high school, Katie started dating a younger guy, a freshman named Aaron Robert Major. They hit it off and immediately became the quintessential high school sweethearts. In no time, Katie's parents considered Aaron a part of the family and vice versa. Katie graduated high school in 1999 and went straight into college at Trident Tech. Her and Aaron's relationship didn't skip a beat, and in 2003, when it came time for Aaron to graduate, he enrolled in a different college, Clemson University. It was great that they were both chasing their education, but their desire to be together was stronger, so Katie left college, married Aaron that summer, and they moved in together. Unfortunately, that sacrifice didn't exactly pay off. In January of 2004, after just one semester, Aaron decided college wasn't for him and he'd rather find a job working with his hands. So what did he do? He took a job working for Katie's father, painting apartments, and with that, the two moved back home. In or around 2006, the exact date is a little fuzzy, Katie and Aaron decided they wanted to start a family. By March of 2007, they welcomed their first child, a girl, whom they named River Lynn, which is actually really adorable. That level of adorable was quickly going to double because Katie got pregnant again just months after River was born. The new baby was going to be there in June of 2008, and Katie couldn't have been more excited. She'd always wanted to have her children back to back. For her, being a mom was better than any degree college could have ever given her, and being a homemaker was her happy place, the thing that brought her pure and unfettered joy. Unfortunately, the joy her children brought her was being stifled by some issues she was having with Aaron. Katie's mother, Vicky, wrote on her website, Justice for Katie and Her Babies, that while Katie was so happy to be a mother, the relationship between Aaron, Katie, and his parents had grown to be more and more estranged. She felt like Aaron's mom was wanting to control everything in their lives. It got to the point where Katie refused to be alone in her mother-in-law's house with just her mother-in-law. If her mother-in-law wanted to see River, Katie would drop her off in a public place. On January 15, 2008, Katie had a five-month appointment scheduled with her OB, which, as many of you know, means it was time to find out the sex of her baby. She was elated when she found out that she would be adding a little boy to the family, a boy she planned to name Aiden Robert Major. Once again, though, the issues with Aaron clouded her ability to be as happy as she wanted to be. 
After the appointment, Katie went by her parents' house and vented to her father, Jeff. She talked to him about some concerns she had with Aaron. Of course, this could have been a phone call, but Katie's cell phone was broken, so she had to be there in person. Katie told her dad that Aaron was really stressed at work, so in typical problem-solving mode, she asked her dad if he could come help Aaron out by giving him an extra hand at the job site the next day. Of course, Jeff obliged. Katie may have been an adult, but she'd always be his little girl and he would do anything he could to help her. Before January 15th was over, Katie pushed out an email that read, Saw the doctor today and I'm going to be giving birth to a beautiful boy. I think we are planning on naming him Aiden Robert Major. And guess what else? We might get some snow flurries tomorrow. As you can see, January 15th was a normal yet exciting day in the life of Katie Major. Unfortunately, the following would be anything but. The next day, January 16th, Katie's dad went all out and actually brought three workers with him to help Aaron at his job site, two of whom were Katie's brothers. According to Justice for Katie, at some point during the day, Katie visited the job site. When she pulled up, she asked her dad where Aaron was. Unfortunately, it's unclear if she ever spoke to Aaron or not, but we do know that Jeff played with Baby River for a little while before Katie left the site saying she was going to get some shopping done. Absolutely nothing seemed off. Later that evening at 6.43 p.m., Katie's mom Vicky was on her way home from picking up some food when Katie called her from the home phone. She thanked her mom for some baby clothes she'd given her, mentioned that Aaron was in the shower, and asked if she could join her mom for dinner at the restaurant she had just left. Vicky explained that she had just picked up a to-go order and was already driving back home. Katie and Vicky talked on the phone about various things until Vicky said she needed to get off because it was dark outside and it had started to rain ice. She needed to pay attention to the road, so the two of them exchanged I love yous and got off the phone. There was never any indication that that would be the last time Vicky would ever speak to her daughter. At 1.44 a.m. on what was now January 17th, Vicky and Jeff were woken up by a phone call from Aaron. He said he was on their porch and needed to come in and talk to them about something. Vicky writes about what happened next on Justice for Katie. She says that once he was inside, Aaron told his in-laws that when Katie got home that evening, she said she had a premonition that someone was going to kill her, that she was standing there shaking and trembling and she wanted to go to a hotel. Aaron told Katie he wanted to take a shower and then he'd take her wherever she wanted. While he was in the shower, he said he heard her truck start. By the time he got out, he said that Katie and River were both gone. Vicky asked if there had been a fight and Aaron said no. Vicky asked if Katie had her glasses, which she needed to drive at night, and Aaron again said no. Vicky was surprised by that answer since Katie wouldn't drive without her glasses at night, especially with River in the car. With all the 1.44 a.m. chaos going on, you wouldn't assume Aaron would change the subject, but you would be wrong. Out of the depths of wood in the actual fuck, Aaron reportedly started talking about how the government blew up the Twin Towers on 9-11. 
He also brought up religious conspiracy theories, allegedly saying that he thought Katie's church was part of a conspiracy that was preparing the way for the Antichrist. Yes, you heard that correctly. During their conversation, Aaron sat calmly with one hand cupped over the other. On the other hand, Vicky and Jeff were freaking the hell out. Aaron managed to convince them not to call the police, and at that point, they had no reason not to believe him. He was being weird AF, but they'd known him for almost a decade and looked at him like a son. After agreeing to search for Katie at hotels in the morning, Aaron left the house. When morning came, Vicky and Aaron took Katie's sister Sarah to Katie and Aaron's place to wait in case she and the baby came home. While Sarah waited, Vicky drove her and Aaron around, scouring local hotels for Katie and River. According to Vicky, while she and Aaron were driving around through parking lots, she was looking around, searching intently, trying to find Katie's truck but says that Aaron wasn't looking at all. Then, once again, out of absolutely nowhere, he started talking about his wealth of conspiracy theories from the night prior. While Aaron was digging deep into his weird side, Sarah, who was back at Katie's house, noticed a Bible on their kitchen table. It had a passage highlighted in it, and one particular line stood out. It was about how the firstborn son needed to be sacrificed. Katie was pregnant with her first son. It was at that moment Sarah knew something wasn't right, so she called her mom and asked to be picked up. Vicky and Aaron went to go get her. While Sarah and Vicky were in the car with Aaron, they noticed something strange. They said that Aaron's right hand was really big. According to them, he even cried out in pain when he opened the door with his right hand. Sarah later told 48 Hours, It just almost looked like a monster's hand, you know. It just looked fat. His whole fingers were swollen. Later, when Vicky stopped the car, she says that Aaron reached over himself and used his left hand to open the passenger side door. At around 10.30 a.m., Vicky and Sarah drove Aaron back to his truck and they went their separate ways. Aaron said he was going to drive southwest to search hotels in Somerville, while Vicky looked in southern towns like Goose Creek and North Charleston, all within 50 to 25 miles of the house. Not long after they went their separate ways, Aaron called Vicky and said he was actually going to drive northwest to Columbia to look for Katie and River. Vicky was really confused by this since Katie had never been to Columbia, and it was also more than 100 miles away. Less than an hour later, at 11.31 a.m., Vicky got another call from Aaron. He told her she needed to go to Oakley Road because he heard on talk radio that a train had hit a vehicle and two people were dead. Vicky was familiar with the Oakley Road train tracks since the area was less than a mile from her house. She headed straight there and looked for a train and a wrecked vehicle. Seems like something that would be pretty hard to miss, but she didn't see anything. There were no emergency lights flashing, but she did notice a few unmarked vehicles. Later, Vicky wrote on Justice for Katie and her babies, I knew something had happened, but it didn't look like a train hit a vehicle. At that point, Vicky was more than suspicious of Aaron and didn't give a single flying shit that he didn't want her to contact the police. She started heading straight to the police station. As Vicky started making her way to the station, something quickly caught her eye. She noticed what looked like Katie's truck parked half-heartedly. It was about 10 feet from the tracks and completely undamaged. 
She couldn't figure out why Katie's truck would be there. It was a dark and desolate area and not anywhere Katie would have taken River at night in an ice storm. Vicky called Aaron to let him know she'd found Katie's truck, and Aaron's reaction was absolutely wild. According to Vicky, he said, I know, I know, I just heard on the radio that a woman and small child were killed. Where did that even come from? Vicky just said she found her truck, not that anyone had been killed, and definitely not a woman and small child. She said he didn't ask a single question and was quick to get off the phone. He was also just as quick to call her back and ask what the police were doing. Vicky didn't have much time to react because she was soon surrounded by officers who told her that Katie and River were both dead. One of those officers was Captain Olick with the Berkeley County Sheriff's Office, who was in charge of the investigation at the time. According to Katie's family, Olick said that Katie and River had been found dead around half a mile down the tracks. A railroad worker had found their bodies at around 8.15 a.m., but not in the same place. 26-year-old Katie was found on the gravel that surrounds the tracks. She was wearing a hoodie, jeans, and a coat. According to the Post and Courier, she had a nearly two-foot cut to her lower abdomen and a laceration on the inside of her right thigh. Officers said they believed Katie had been struck on her side by an object hanging off the train. When it comes to eight-and-a-half-month-old River, she was found floating in a creek about 100 feet away from her mother. She was wearing a turtleneck, overalls, and pink shoes. Investigators reported that she had no visible injuries. After getting the kind of news that never leaves your soul, Alec asked Vicky, who sent you here? She told him it was Katie's husband, Aaron, so naturally Alec asked where Aaron was. Vicky said he was headed to Columbia, so Alec told her to call Aaron and tell him to go to her house. She did as she was told, and according to her, Aaron again asked no questions about Katie or River. Alec had Vicky get into a police car and she was driven home. He stayed at the house with Vicky while other family members started showing up. When Aaron got there, he went inside and sat on the couch just feet away from where Vicky was standing. She says he never asked what happened, he just sat quietly on the couch. County Coroner Salisbury and Captain Olick took Aaron out of the house and questioned him with another detective, Detective Mosier, present. Mosier actually wound up writing Aaron's statement for him, quote unquote, due to him being very upset due to incident. However, Vicky believes Aaron couldn't write anything due to his hand being swollen. According to a three-page statement, this is what Aaron told Mosier. On January 16th, while Aaron was working at an apartment complex, Katie showed up and said she didn't want to be home alone, that she was afraid someone was after her. She eventually left Aaron's job, then returned about four more times throughout the day, stating the same thing, also asking Aaron to drop work and just leave town now. I want to point out that no one has reported seeing Katie at the job site more than once that day, except for Aaron. Aaron said Katie was worried that both of their phones had been tapped or traced. Each time Aaron told her he couldn't leave his job right then, that she wasn't making sense and she was scaring him. He said he could leave when he finished the job. Aaron said that he and Katie left the job site between 5.45 and 6 p.m. He drove Katie's truck, due to her being frightened, over to Katie's parents' house where he picked up his truck. Then Aaron got into his truck and Katie followed him home. 
When they got home, he says that Katie wanted to leave immediately, that she wouldn't even let him take a shower. She just wanted to leave the house because she had a feeling someone was out to kill her. Aaron said he needed to take care of payroll for work and he would leave after he finished. But Katie was acting so paranoid that he couldn't reason with her. He said to give him a minute and let him take a shower. Katie agreed to let him shower and said she was going to make River a bottle. So he's allegedly freaked out by her behavior, saying she's saying someone's out to kill her. And he's like, let me finish this payroll and take a shower real quick. And in her being so unbelievably panicked, she was like, okay, cool. I'm going to do a reasonable and calm thing like make a bottle. Let's also not forget that she called her mother from their house phone at 6.43 p.m. talking to her about baby clothes and dinner. Absolutely no paranoia detected. While Aaron was in the shower, he said he heard Katie's truck turn on, but he wasn't positive she left until he got out of the shower and looked out of the bedroom window. It was around 8 p.m. at that time. He says he got dressed and drove around the area looking for Katie, even checking hotels but didn't find her. After 45 minutes of coming up empty searching the hotels, Aaron says he went back home to wait for her, but she didn't come back. A few hours later, he became concerned, then started checking hotels in Somerville, Goose Creek, and surrounding areas. She wasn't in any of those places, so he went back home. At that point, he says he knew something was wrong. Aaron said he went to his in-law's house, Vicky and Jeff's house, and woke them up at around 12 or 1 a.m. He sat and talked with them for a bit and went home. After waiting for Katie a little while longer, he went to sleep at around 3.45 a.m., just snoozing away while his wife and child were nowhere to be found. He woke up two hours later, then looked for an envelope that had several hundred dollars of savings in it. When he, quote unquote, realized the envelope was gone, he became very worried, fearing something was wrong. He knew she wasn't coming back. That statement feels like it has a whole lot of context to it that none of us are privy to. Taking money to pay for said paranoia-induced hotels seems somewhat reasonable, but for him, $1,000 gone meant she wasn't coming back? Further along in his statement, Aaron says he took the truck to Katie's parents' house, then got into Vicky's car and they drove around looking for Katie. After a while, they split up, then he started driving toward Columbia, more than 100 miles away, to check hotels, gas stations, and rest areas due to Katie feeling safe there. Aaron told the detective that while he was looking around, he overheard on talk radio that there had been a woman and small child found on a railroad track in Berkeley County. He called Vicky to tell her what he heard. She said she was going to head that way and find out what was going on. Soon after, Aaron received a phone call from Vicky who said she saw Katie's truck on the side of the road. Aaron says he immediately took the next exit and headed back. That is the end of his statement. While all of this was going on, Aaron's parents showed up at Katie's parents' house. According to Katie's family, they also asked zero questions besides, where is Aaron? When Aaron was done giving his statement to detectives, his parents took him to see their pastor. Even though he was being questioned in relation to his wife and daughter's deaths, 
Aaron was allowed to return to their home unaccompanied for the night. Furthermore, authorities never photographed or forensically searched the major home. Even though the major home wasn't searched, Katie's truck was. They found a religious book, a diaper bag, and nearly $1,000 in cash. According to Justice for Katie, the following day, January 18th, Aaron's mother called Vicky to tell her that they were going to bury Katie and River at the major family plot hours away from Monk's Corner. She was told that Aaron wanted a private graveside funeral. He would be the only one allowed at the gravesite. No one else. And it is the fucking audacity for me. According to Katie's family, Aaron's mom also said she had spoken to their pastor, who told her they didn't have to answer any of the detectives' questions. Vicky said she was also told not to tell detectives about the conspiracy theories Aaron had brought up after showing up to their house in the middle of the night. That his mom didn't want the detectives to think Aaron was a religious fanatic, even though the stuff he said was true. Following that call, Vicky and Jeff went right on over to the major home where Aaron was with his parents. Vicky tried asking Aaron questions about the private graveside service, but he wouldn't look at her or say anything. A few minutes later, Coroner Salisbury called either Aaron or one of his parents, it's not totally clear which, and said that he was on the way over. While waiting for Salisbury, Vicky went upstairs to River's room and stood at her crib grieving her eight-month-old granddaughter. According to Vicky, Aaron walked in and looked at her strangely, with no emotions of sadness. He then told her, Isn't it odd that Katie thought someone was going to kill her and someone did? I genuinely wish body language had a sound at this point because I'm at a whole loss here. You have a whole dictionary of words in your repertoire and that's the sequence you put them in? Vicky headed into the primary bedroom with Aaron following closely behind. Vicky noticed that Katie's clothes were all pulled out of her drawers. In the bathroom, all the drawers were open. Vicky told Aaron, I thought you said there was not a fight. He responded, I just did that looking for something to bury her in. So he looked in the bathroom drawers for something to bury her in? Vicky and Aaron headed back downstairs because Coroner Salisbury, Captain Olick, and Detective Mosier had all shown up. Salisbury immediately announced that Katie had taken her own life due to postpartum depression, but he didn't mention what happened to River. So he seems to think she took her own life by getting hit by something on the side of a train. According to Justice for Katie, Aaron and his parents immediately agreed with the coroner's opinion, while Jeff and Vicky were taken aback for several reasons. One, Katie didn't have postpartum depression and she wasn't suicidal. And two, how did they come to the conclusion that it was a suicide this soon? The autopsies had been scheduled for 9 a.m. that morning and it was only early afternoon. Before leaving, Salisbury recommended the family set up an appointment with the funeral home, which they did. During the appointment on the 19th, everything started out as normal as can be. Jeff and Vicky were present along with Aaron, his parents, and his sister. They were answering questions just fine until his sister allegedly received a call from Coroner Salisbury. She took the call in front of everyone, then hung up and announced that Salisbury said he had figured out the exact time of Katie's death. 9.22 p.m. on January 16th. And as a complete non-professional who's had to research the process of determining time of death several times, that's not how it works. 
You can get an approximate window based off of several different factors, but you cannot get an hour down to the minute. Vicky glanced at Aaron and said it looked like he had just seen a ghost, that he turned pale and white and could no longer answer questions. The funeral director asked what Katie's birth date was, and Aaron said he didn't know. The director then asked what the name of their unborn child was going to be, and again, Aaron didn't know. Prior to the call, he'd been answering questions just fine. So why was he so thrown off about the time of death? After this, Aaron got up and left the room with his father following behind him. Everyone else stayed in the conference room to finish the paperwork. When they were done, the director pointed Katie's parents and Aaron's sister to a room to pick out coffins. Aaron's mother stayed in the conference room with the director. According to Justice for Katie, within minutes, Aaron entered the coffin room, laid on the floor, and spinned around on his stomach in a circle. His father then came into the room as well, and before he even walked through the door's threshold, he announced, Oh, I guess Aaron broke his hand, then he sat on Aaron. To say that Vicky and Jeff were taken aback feels like a gross misuse of the word, but it's all I can come up with for that. Was Aaron trying to make it seem like he had just broken his hand in the coffin room when Vicky had noticed his hand was swollen during the search for Katie? If that was the plan, Vicky didn't feel like it made any sense. According to her, all he did was lay down on the ground. It wasn't like he'd punched a wall. However, I do want to note that Captain Alec later told 48 Hours, We inquired with the funeral director and she said, Yes, I witnessed him punch a cinder block wall. So do with that what you will. With Aaron spinning on the floor, his parents announced that they were going to take him to the emergency room and that Jeff and Vicky could pick out the cemetery plot, because how kind of them. While Jeff and Vicky found a beautiful spot under a large oak tree, Aaron was treated for a broken hand and a concussion. Where in the hell did the head injury come from? Katie and Rivers' funeral was scheduled for January 21st, but according to Justice for Katie, before that could happen, Vicky had to deal with more absolute batshit bullshit. You see, Katie's wedding rings had been found in her pocket during the autopsy. After finding this out, Aaron insisted the rings be put back on her finger for the burial. This upset Vicky because she knew if Katie had taken off her rings, there was a serious reason for it. Vicky told Aaron this, but he refused to leave them off. And unfortunately, that's not where Aaron's demands ended. He wanted his unborn son Aiden at just five months gestation displayed on top of Katie for the open casket. Obviously, Vicky fought Aaron on this, telling him that Aiden was unborn and should be left that way. The open casket was going to be devastating enough, and seeing an unborn baby displayed on top of his mother would be a kind of jarring that I don't think can be measured. Aaron refused to change his mind, so Vicky called the funeral director and was able to get the whole idea shut down. Thank goodness for tiny miracles. Katie and Rivers' funeral was held as scheduled on January 21st. There were two pastors. Aaron and his family had their pastor there, the one who supposedly told Aaron's mom they didn't have to talk to the detectives. Katie's family also had their pastor there who had baptized River. 
Vicky explained on Justice for Katie that Aaron wanted his pastor there because he believed that Katie's parents' pastor was part of a religious conspiracy to prepare the way for the Antichrist. There was a private family gathering to say one last goodbye before the casket was closed prior to the funeral. When Vicky walked in, she said she was immediately approached by Aaron's mom, who told her Aaron requested to be alone when the casket was closed. He wanted everyone to leave. It was the audacity again, and Vicky said absolutely not. She felt like he was trying to guard the casket. She eventually gathered the courage to approach the casket, and when she looked in, she saw Katie and River lying there together. Vicky wrote on Justice for Katie that there was not a scratch on Katie's beautiful face, despite her supposedly committing suicide by train. While Katie seemed to have not an injury to find, she noticed a large lump on River's forehead, even though the coroner said there were no visible injuries. Vicky was rightfully upset about this since she expected her granddaughter to look unscathed, but that wasn't the case. When it came time to close the casket, Vicky says that Aaron's mom put her finger in Vicky's face and said, I told you Aaron wanted this time alone. Vicky told her, then you better call police because I'm not leaving. They will have to drag me out of here and arrest me. And let's take a minute out of our day to give Vicky the round of applause she deserves. After closing the casket, everyone filed into the chapel for the funeral. It was standing room only because so many people had showed up to pay their respects. If you thought the crowd might bring a pause to the absolutely bizarre happenings of this case, you would be incorrect. Katie's uncle told 48 Hours that Aaron sat in the front pew close to the casket eating McDonald's and drinking out of his big McDonald's cup. The uncle said, he never shed a tear, he never came and hugged anybody, it was the sickest thing I've ever witnessed in my whole life. The major family reportedly wasn't much better. Katie's family says that Aaron's mom was cold while his father was loud. He was allegedly heard telling one of Vicky's brothers that maybe Katie was taking LSD. Following the funeral, Katie's friends and family gathered at Vicky and Jeff's house. Not long into the evening, Aaron showed up. Vicky and a few family members took that opportunity to speak to Aaron for hours, trying to get information out of him. Vicky wrote on Justice for Katie that Aaron told him he now had three choices to carry on his life. He could live off of what money he had and not work for a while, he could expand his business, or he could move away. Vicky wrote, it's like he already had this all planned out. He was already planning his future. That he never said anything like, I don't know how I will go on. She said there was no grief or sadness with him. Following the funeral, Katie's family no longer considered Aaron a part of their family, and he was let go from his position with Jeff's company. On January 22nd, the day after the funeral, the coroner's report was completed. Yeah, that's when it was completed and it makes about as much sense to you as it does to me and everyone else. Katie's manner of death was ruled a suicide and this determination was made even though the pathologist had recommended the manner of death report be listed as pending. The determination was also made without getting a statement from Katie's parents or brothers who all saw and or talked to her on the day she died. They also failed to speak to Katie's obstetrician, whom she saw the day before, you know, someone who could have given some insight about whether or not Katie had that supposed postpartum depression. 
On January 23rd, Aaron went in for surgery to treat his broken hand. The next day, he went into the police station to speak with a detective for a little less than an hour. Interesting considering this seemed to be closed with the manner of death being listed as suicide and her funeral already having been taken place. What was said in that interview with the detective involved 9-11 conspiracies, Satan, and lunch money. But the tomfuckery that took place will take an entire second episode and we'll have to wait until next week. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Katie's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me on TikTok tonight at the Heather Ashley at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you part two next week, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. 